glad uh, to have y'all with us today. My name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here. And, and uh, no matter if you're joining us in person or if you're online, which uh, probably a majority of you are, if you are online, uh, give us a shout out from what beach you're at right now um, and, uh, and how bad the traffic was to get there this weekend. Um, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we get to gather together. Uh, and I'm really glad that we have technology that can allow people to be a part of what we're doing here and not have to miss out no matter where they are, which is, which is really cool. And so, so uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn it to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. We've got a big chunk that we're going to get through today. We're going to go through verse uh, 35 in chapter 4 to verse 20 in, in chapter 5. And what I hope happens as we go through this is I really do hope we leave this place today with more faith and trust in Jesus than we had coming in. And particularly, I hope that happens that we get to see Jesus uh, in a way uh, that becomes more real and in a way that we haven't seen him uh, maybe before. And, and as you're turning there, I want to just remind us, we are in, uh, going through the book of Mark here at Fellowship. We teach through books of the Bible. At least we, we do that mostly. Sometimes we'll do series, but typically we teach through books of the Bible. Um, and, and as we're doing this, we, we talked about how uh, the book of Mark is divided up into a few sections. The section we're in right now, it, Mark, the author of this, wanted people to know who Jesus is. And so as he's writing this, it's like we're one of the disciples following Jesus around, getting to see what he says, getting to see what he does, getting to hear what he says. And the whole point of it is so that at this point in the book, we can see who he is. We've seen Jesus be a teacher, right? We've seen him teach people. We've seen him in many ways be a rabbi to people where, where in the Jewish culture he was calling people to follow him. We've seen him be this, this caring healer of broken people, right? Well, today what Mark is going to show us is something that he showed his disciples is that he is so much more than those things. He is so much more than a teacher, than a rabbi, and then a healer. And what he's going to show us is something that, that Mark is going to use to invite us in to trust Jesus as this. So let's see what this is. In verse 35, chapter 4, verse 35, it says this. It says, And on that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him, they took him uh, with them in a boat just as he was. And other boats were with them. Now, now, if you remember, uh, Jesus has done this teaching. He has been teaching in parables. And Jesus gets into this boat. Now, we've seen this boat before. It was the boat that they had set aside for emergencies. If the crowd got too big and Jesus needed an escape plan, the disciples thought, like, we have this, right? Uh, last week, I think it was last week, we saw Jesus get into that boat. Yeah, and teach the people from that boat. Well, this, this time we see Jesus and, and his disciples get into this boat and, and now his closest disciples are with him and, and, and they're on the water, the water's around them, right? All of them have been hearing Jesus lecture, right? They've been hearing Jesus teach parables. They've been kind of in the classroom with Jesus, right? Well, what Mark is going to show us is that when Jesus was teaching in parables and as Jesus was teaching them, yes, he was communicating truth to them. But what Jesus is going to do now in this boat and then what happens when this boat hits the shore on the other side is he's going to take them to a lab, right? Because a lecture, here's what a lecture is. 
a lecture is where knowledge is learned, right? Like when you're sitting in the classroom and a teacher is teaching, you are learning knowledge. But a lab is something different because a lab is where you go to to, to apply the knowledge that you've learned, right? It's where your knowledge is tested in a unique way. When, when I was uh, in college, during my undergrad, one of my minors was plant ecology in Texas, all right? And so the, all the plants were pretty small compared to here, um, uh, but there was a lot of them. And in the lecture... What we would do is we would look at pictures of plants and we would learn about leaf shapes and stem structures and and we'd learn about all this stuff. And then the test in the lecture was either a picture or a drawing of a plant that we had to label, give its common name, its genus, species, and all this list of questions. But the lab was very different for this class because the lab, we would either walk around campus and identify trees and shrubs and weeds and grasses, or we would all hop into a van in Texas in the summer and drive to this wooded area and walk around this wooded area identifying trees and grasses and everything that grew there and not only like identifying what it is but the genus and species of it like all this stuff well that was the lecture the in in the final for the lecture was just exactly what you would think like it's a test here's the test multiple choice label the diagrams all of that but the lab was very different. The lab, what this teacher did, what this professor did, is piled us all in the van and took us out to that forest. And all across this forest were these like five meter by five meter plots that were mapped out with ribbons. And we had to pick our plot and then we had to name everything that was in there. Every grass, every weed, every tree, every plant. Now, here's the deal. It tested not just what I knew, but it tested what I could apply to that. Like what, what I knew, what I could apply of what I knew. Because here's the deal. When you're standing out in the, in the woods and you're looking at this big square, some plants are just now growing right? And so they're small, and we had to identify them. Some were very mature, and we had to identify them. Like like some of them were were diseased and and looked different than the healthy plants that we saw when we were walking around, and we had to identify them. This is the difference between a lecture. This is the difference between a classroom and a lab, right? What we're doing right now is the classroom. A sermon is a classroom. A sermon is a lecture. Right? And, 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 and part of my teacher's heart, part of the way I'm wired, I want you to understand truth about God, about Jesus, and about this thing called the spiritual life in, in Christ, right? Like, like, I want you to understand that. I want you to understand what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and fueled by the Holy Spirit. Because I know, just like you know, something is different here than when the moment you walk out of these doors. Because that's where your lab starts, right? If this is your classroom, that's your lab, that's your lecture. And what's tested outside these doors, and let's be honest, sometimes it's tested as soon as it's over and you stand up, right? Like like what's tested is can you apply what you know? That's what we're going to see these disciples in this boat go through. Can they apply what they know? This is their lab. You see, your lab is is coming, right? 
You get to take what you've learned here and you get to adapt it to your environment. How you apply what you know will be tested. And, and, and here's what Jesus is going to expose, that a lecture shows what you've learned, right? Like some of you are, are, are like me, like you love studying, you love like getting good grades. And so if I passed out a quiz every Sunday, some of you would be delighted, right? Because you would like ace it, right? That's what a lecture, that's what a classroom is, shows what you've learned. But a lab, a lab invites you to, to show what to do with what you've learned, Right? And the disciples that get in this boat, they're about to, to expose an opportunity to apply what they've learned. Look at verse 37. Verse 37 says this. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Right? So if you've been around the Bible for a little bit, you, you're familiar with this story. The disciples and Jesus are in this boat. Storm comes up. Waves start crashing in. Boat starts filling with water. Jesus is taking a nap. One of the many reasons I love Jesus. Right? He valued a good nap. Right? Like, like he, is, he is sound asleep. And the disciples are frantically trying to keep the water from, from, from coming in. And all this is going on while Jesus slept. Well, look at verse 38. Verse 38 says, And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Like, what a way to wake up from a nap, right? Do you not care that we are perishing? Like, it makes sense. Like, let's at least wake him up so that he can help bail out the water at the very least, right? Like, like this thing is filling all the extra hands would be great. But, but look at their question. Their question is, Jesus, do you not care? Like, like, here's the deal. These disciples, they have been with Jesus in the classroom for a while now. They've been hearing his lectures time and time again, right? They have watched him cure people of illnesses that no one else could cure. They have, they have watched them even, they have watched Jesus even cure family members, right? That, that couldn't be cured, Right? He has trained them. He has taught them. He has helped them. And, and in the lecture, he has done everything he possibly could to show them that he cares for them. Right? You see, in the lecture, he has shown them that. But when the lab starts, as soon as the lab starts, their first response is fear. And here's what fear does in the lab. Fear makes you forget what you've learned, right? Let's go back to the, to, the, to the lab illustration before. Have you ever been in a lab situation, right? Where you know you know the answer, but you've panicked because what's in front of you looks different and you have forgotten, right? Have you ever been there? Like, like literally, have you ever been in a, in a classroom environment, ace the test in the classroom, and get to the lab and be like, I can't remember a thing because something is off about it, because something looks different, right? You're staring at the problem, and all of a sudden, you forget the formula. Anybody? Yeah. This is what the disciples did. In the lab of life, this, this happens, right? Right? We know the truth, 
But here's the deal. When our first response is, is fear, our first reaction is going to be to forget. When our first response is fear, our first reaction is going to be to forget. Well, Jesus is going to show them more of who he is. Look at verse 39. Verse 39 says this. It says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, I want to deal with both parts of the questions that Jesus asked. In the ESV, you know, it says, why are you afraid? And his question is, is probably better translated, more translated of, of where is your fear? Where is your fear? Because here's the deal. Some, some of the, the guys in this boat, they were fishermen, right? They've been out on water before. They've seen storms come up. That's nothing new to them. Because they know storms will eventually pass, right? They're, I don't think their fear was anchored in the storm, right? I think their fear was someplace else. Because remember, those in the boat are Jewish. And, and, and because they were Jewish, they knew the songs of their faith, the Psalms. Like when we went through the Psalms of Ascent, they, they knew those Psalms. They had sung them <coughs> when they gathered together to worship. They have sung them when they wake up and during the day and when they go to sleep, like, like they knew the songs of the faith and they knew the Psalms. And in those Psalms, there are songs that speak of the power of God, right? That, that God has this unique ability, particularly when related to the weather, right? That God of the universe, God, God the Father, Yahweh does this. It says in Psalm 65, 7, it says this of God. That it is God who stills the roaring seas, the roaring of their waves. In Psalms 89.9, it says, God, you rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. But Psalm 107, I wonder if that's the one that was ringing in their ears. I wonder if they particularly had this one on their mind. Because look at what Psalm 107 says. It says, he stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed, and they were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Now, here's the deal. Here's why they would be afraid. You see, up to this point, they've been following Jesus. And it'd be real easy for them to think, Jesus is going to be king of Israel. We are his entourage. You know what that means for us? It means we get to be little kings of Israel. If he's going to be in charge, we get to be in charge. This is the place to be. Because keep in mind, these guys didn't follow the typical pattern for following a rabbi. If you followed a rabbi, they identified you when you were a kid as a, as a kid who could, who could learn well and study well and do well in the lecture, do well on the test. And then you moved up and then you studied under, under a rabbi. These guys were all dropouts. Right? Like, like they didn't go through that program. They were, they were fishermen and tax collectors, and, and they were this ragtag bunch of people. And so for them, this was their shot. But what they realize when Jesus stands up and tells the wind and the waves to be still, when he stands up and goes, shh, 
to the storm. And it does. All of a sudden, they realize something about Jesus that they may not have realized before. That this guy that we're following, he doesn't, he's not, he can't be the king of Israel. He's the king of the universe. Because the songs that we sing, sing of only God. Yahweh, the name for God, God being able to calm the storm. And he just stood up and did it after he woke up from a nap. No coffee, nothing. He just stood up and calmed the storm. And these disciples are looking at each other going, y'all, this is God. You see, what they've been learning applies to this situation and all situations is that Jesus is God, that God is Jesus. This guy in their boat, he is God. Which is why the next part of the question is important because he says, have you still no faith? Now in the gospel according to Luke, he records this question as Jesus looking at them and saying, where is your faith? Which I think is a great question. Because after he has just shown them that he is God, the question is, which Jesus do you want to believe in? Do you want to believe in the Jesus that's the king of the Israel, that's the king of Israel, or do you want to believe in the true Jesus that is the king of the universe, the Jesus that is God? Because, see, I think they have full faith in Jesus. They just had full faith in the Jesus they thought he was. And he is showing them the Jesus that he is. And the Jesus that he is, is vastly different and so much better than the Jesus they thought he was. Which is why they respond this way. Look at verse 41. It says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? Right? It's one of those rhetorical questions. Who is this? He's God. Right? Here's the deal with labs, too. Sometimes labs leave us with more questions than answers. Right? I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, the, the more spiritually mature people I'm around, the, real, the more I realize their faith has become more and more simple as they've walked with Jesus longer and longer and longer. Right? That those things that, that, in, in, that you know, a, a young person, their faith, want answers to. Why is there evil in the world? I need to know. It's a great question. A mature person says, great person, great question. Trust in God. He's good. He's loving. Trust him. Right? See, see, here's the deal. The lab doesn't show you just what you know. It also shows you what you don't know. Right? We like to think that sometimes when the storm is over, that we're done, right? Finally, peace. Like the storm is over. We like to think, now I've got the answers. But not always. Sometimes we're just left with more questions, which again is an invitation. Do we trust Jesus in those areas? Well, now we're going to move from the weather department to the more supernatural department, if you will. Right? The department right down the hall. 
Let's see what, let's see what happens there when they land. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1 says this. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately uh, there met him one of, uh, one of uh, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For they had often, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adore you. I adjure. Uh, there's the word. Um, by God, do not torture me. I looked down and I thought I had it. Do not torment me, right? Now, notice what this tormented man calls you. First of all, can you imagine, right? You just saw Jesus calm the storm. The boat just gets to the shore, and you're like, finally, we get here. And then here he comes, right? We'd all be looking at him going, he's not only crazy, he is like scary crazy, right? The stuff we know about him, he breaks chains. No one can subdue him, and he's coming here, right? And that's what the disciples are faced with. And, and then this crazy, dangerous man looks at Jesus and calls him by name and gives him a title. He says, Jesus, son of the most high God. And, and, and what does this mean? It means that this man knows who Jesus is, at least what Mark is going to show us. Because remember, Jesus is God. It's not the man that knows who Jesus is. But it's the demons inside of him who know who Jesus is. The book of James says this about the demonic world, about the spiritual world. It says, even the demons believe that there is a God, that Jesus is God. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. They're afraid of Jesus, right? And this little glimpse into the spiritual world shows us something very clearly, that the demons know who Jesus is, and they are afraid of him. So this guy that they thought was a great teacher, a great rabbi, a great wise man, a great sage, a great healer, he just calmed the storms because he's God, and now he steps on the shore, and the demons are afraid of him. Well, now Mark is going to show us a little bit. He's going to backtrack a little bit, show us how this conversation got started to see kind of why, why he would do this, why the demons would do that. In verse 8, it says this, For he was saying to him, so Jesus had already seen him coming, and he said, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus had already started the process of, of looking at this guy and seeing that this guy was more than a guy, that this guy had demons in him. And we're going to see something really freaky about that in a minute. But, but he begged Jesus to, to, to stop because Jesus saw and recognized him as a human that needed to be free, and the demons that were in him didn't want him to be free. They kind of liked where they were. And when they saw Jesus coming, they were afraid. And look at verse 9. It says, And Jesus asked him, What is your name? Jesus looked at him and said, You know my name. What's your name? 
Now, he's not asking the guy to say, Jack, right? My name's Jack. He's asking those who recognize him, what is your name? And it's a question designed by Jesus to show more of who he is so that we can trust him more. Because names are important. Names in the Bible are particularly important, right? Because names tell stories. Right? When you read the Old Testament and, and, and you read these saints' names, their names tell something about their character. Their name says something. Even the name of Jesus means Savior, right? Like names are important. When you know someone's name, it shows that you know them. It shows knowledge. Like, like even coming to church here, like, like you come the first time and somebody gets to know your name, that's great. But when you come back the second time and they remember your name, that feels good. Right? Because you're like, wow, somebody knows me. So when Jesus is asking, what is your name? It is, it is powerful, right? And look at what he says. He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Like Legion is this Roman military term. And it means a group of soldiers from like 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers. So what this demon is saying is like, hey, guess what? I'm not alone. There's lots of us in here. And in some ways, it's a challenge to Jesus. There's one of you and lots of us. But in other ways, they know how this is going to go down. Right? Look at verse 10. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. And so what do these demons know about Jesus? Listen, we've got thousands of of these demons, 3,000 to 6,000 demons in front of one man. And what do they do? Do they fight like they did with the other men who tried to restrain him? Right? Because it already says other men had tried to restrain him and they couldn't. They, they put him in chains and he broke them. Do you know how much strength it takes to break chains? It takes about the strength of, of 3,000 to 6,000 men to break chains, right? And this guy did that. Right? Did they do that to Jesus? Did they exercise their strength? Did they exercise their power? No, they begged Jesus not to force them to leave, not to give them a command. Because you see, demons know something that we can forget, especially when we're scared, especially in the lab when we're afraid. They know something that we can forget because demons know that Jesus is in control. And Mark is including this here to show us that not only is Jesus God, but Jesus is God who is in control. You see, and that's what the lab does. The lab shows us who's in control. All right? If you're ever doing an, a, 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 an experiment in chemistry class in the lab, right, and it goes crazy, who comes over to your table to help you make it right? The teacher, because they're in control. Right? Run, because if you blow up the school, they lose their job. Right? So, so they're going to make sure they know what you're doing and they're going to fix it. When, when, when I was in that big old plot of land having to label everything, here's the deal. My professor not only knew everything that was in my square, he knew everything that was in everybody's square because he graded the lab right there with us. He took our piece of paper and looked around and checked everything off. And then he'd go to the next one and do it. And the next one and do it. He was in control. I tell this story when I was in seminary once. Oh, gosh, you guys. There was this professor. 
super, super humble men. And, and he was one of those humble teachers that you never really knew how much he knew until you didn't want to know how much he knew, right? And there was this guy in our class, we called him North-South, because if you said a direction was north, he would say it was south. And if you said it was south, he would say north. He was just this contentious person. And the professor was teaching on some subject that I don't even know what it was. I can't remember. And North-South raised his hand. And he said, well, I was reading this book, and he mentioned the name of the book, and he goes, and the author, you know, makes this comment that contradicts you. To which our professor, you know, he put it, he would always, he always had a pencil with him, because if a student said something, like, to enlighten the scriptures that he really thought was right and accurate, he would make a note in his notes, and then it would show up in his notes for the next class. That's how humble he was, like, Students could give insights to the scriptures that he hadn't thought about. Well, he put the pencil down on this one. <laughs> we were like, oh, boy. And he said, um, here's the deal. He said, the quote that you're referencing is on page 41 of that book. And he said, and obviously you didn't read more of the book. Because what the author is doing is he's setting up a straw man argument just to tear it down later. And so I would suggest you go ahead and read the rest of the book, and you'll find that what I just said is more accurate than you think. Right? This is what Jesus is doing. The lab shows you who is in control. And Jesus is showing these disciples, and Mark is showing us that he is in control, just like God is in control. Right? Jesus is showing us that he is God who is in control. Watch this in verse 11. It says, Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs and, 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 and let us enter them. And so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. What does that mean? I don't know. But here's the deal. Here's what we see. I mean, there's lots of theories and all this stuff, but here's what I think Mark is showing us. That Jesus spoke and the demons obeyed. Like, that's the powerful part. Let's not get lost on why pigs. I know pigs, you know, Jews couldn't eat pigs and they were in a non-Jewish part of the town. Maybe this is why that, 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 that. Let's not miss the fact that Jesus spoke to the thousands of demons in this one man to go into the pigs. And they said, all right, let's go. And this guy was healed. Like, that's the God who's in control. That's our Jesus. Jesus spoke, and they obeyed. Look at verse 14. It says, The herdsmen fled, because they had nothing else to do. Their pigs are gone now. The herdsmen fled and told the city, uh, and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see, uh, to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them and what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. So now the, the, the people who were watching the pigs went to the city, told everybody, the city's come out. And so this man that they see, that they know, 
They know him as the, as the guy that ran around the, the tombs naked, around death and isolated. And no one could get around him because he would defeat them. Instead of, in, instead of supernaturally fighting man, they see him now sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Right? He went from being demon-possessed to being a disciple of Jesus. Just like that. And notice what it did to the townspeople. Now they are afraid. They don't know what's going on. They've never seen anything like this before. But they have an opportunity to trust and to do just like this guy did and to sit at the feet of Jesus who is in control. But look at what they choose instead. Verse 17. Verse 17 says this. It says, And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region." See, the crowd didn't want Jesus to be in control, but someone did. Look at verse 18. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for them. And every one marveled. You see, Jesus asked this man to stay in his town so that he could declare what Jesus had done. Right? And listen, all this guy had to do is walk down the street and just say, see me? Jesus did this. Because they all knew him before. Right? It's like going back to your, to your high school reunion if you're old enough to have done that yet. And maybe if you're like me, you became a Christian after high school and you walk in and it's a different person that walks in, right? This is what he experienced. He walked back into town and he's a different person because of Jesus. And he could declare this guy, Jesus, is God, that he heals. And Jesus is in control of everything, particularly those things that seem out of control. The storms of life, the demons in our life, that Jesus, he's the only one that can bring peace to them all. And today we're going to take communion. And here's, here's what I, I want you to do, that there is this invitation to trust who Jesus is. And so let me throw some questions out to you and see if any of these resonate with you. Like, like is there a storm in your life? Where in your life is there fear? Like, where is there fear that, 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 that goes against your faith? the fear that's limiting your faith, the fear that, that has shackled you and the fear that has bound you, and maybe the fear that you have tried everything to, to fix, everything to restrain, but it's still there. You see, Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control. Are there demons that are tormenting you? I know in churches of our um, genre, let's say, talk of demons is a little foreign, right? Because we love science. But y'all, demons are real. And some of you may be tormented by those demons. 
And the reason you know you're tormented by them is because they've always been there. And they whisper to you things that are horrific, things that only a demon would say. Jesus cleanses you of those demons. Do you trust him as God? Do you trust Jesus as God? Do you trust him to be in control of your life? Every part of it, especially the scary parts. Well, today, as you come to communion, I ask you this question. Will you welcome Jesus? The Jesus who is God, the Jesus who is in control, will you welcome him into those places where fear lives? Will you welcome him into those places where the demons have been holding on to you and you really haven't wanted to let them go? Will you welcome Jesus into that place? Will you welcome him in? Is there a place that you need to move from the lecture to the lab, a place where you need to apply the things that you know? Because here's the deal. The, the, the disciples tried to save the boat on their own. And guess what? It didn't work. They needed Jesus. We need Jesus. The townspeople tried to cure the demon-possessed man, and guess what? It didn't work. We need Jesus. The question is, where do you need him? As you come to communion today, there's, there's something that's interesting about this. It's at the very beginning that can kind of get lost. Like, like this story focuses on uh, the, the disciples with Jesus in the, in the boat. But, but Mark also lets us know, hey, guess what? There were other boats in the water too. Other people saw all this happening, not just the disciples in the boat. Y'all, we are one of those boats. We get to see all this happening and get to respond accordingly. And we get to take what we know and apply it out there. But before we do, Let's apply it here at this table. And as you take communion, as you come up, like think about those things that you fear. Think about those places you don't want to let go of and invite Jesus to be God in those areas. Let me pray for us in the way we do communion here. Is if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come up and grab the little communion cup and then, and then go back and, and, and pray. Caroline will come up here and play a little bit so, we're, so there's a little bit of background music. And we'll take time and pray, and then we will take the elements together. All right, let me pray for us uh, to get started. Jesus, there's a lot of stuff that stirs in our souls continually. <clears throat> and the great thing I love about coming together as a church and and, and listening to your word is that it's time for us to slow down a little bit. And communion is a time to, to slow down a little bit more. And so, God, I pray that you would meet us here. And maybe as we're sitting here, try not to think about the things that bring us fear. Try not to think about the things in our life that scare us. Maybe you would let us know you're already there. And it's not us welcoming you, it's us stepping into those places with you. And may that, may that happen today as we come and we sit with you and we sit with this grape juice and, and cracker 
to represent sitting with you. May you meet us in a very special way. In Christ's name I pray, amen. When you're ready, come on up and take the elements and then, and then we'll, I mean, come up and grab the elements and we'll take them together in a minute. the man who is healed from all the demons um, sitting at the feet of Jesus. We've been healed. We've been healed by Jesus. And like him, we get to sit at his feet. And like him, we get to proclaim what Jesus has done for us. That's what communion is. It's a proclamation of what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus has done in us, and what Jesus is doing to us. It is a proclamation that, that his death and resurrection paid for the penalty of sin which we which we caused, right? And that it removes the power of that sin from our lives, that it was dealt with on the cross. And the resurrection proved all of that to be true. Because as Andy Stanley says, when, when somebody's resurrected, you kind of believe what they said. All right? And we do this to remember. And we do this to proclaim. So we'll start with the cracker. So you can open that. And it's his body that was broken for us. And then flip it over. And his blood that was shed for us. Jesus, we, like that disciple, are sitting at your feet. And you tell us to go. Go and proclaim. And so, Father, I pray for us. I pray for us that we can proclaim who you are to us. That you are God and you are God who is in control even when it seems like nothing is being controlled. And Father, make that, may that make a difference in us and may it um, make a difference to those around us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.